Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Hi, I'm Carmen Baskoff here with Lydia Brown. We're the producers of Where We Live, and we're taking a few moments out of your podcast uh, just to ask you to uh, think about um, making a donation to continue allowing us to produce Where We Live and uh, bring it to you every day. Uh, the number to donate is 1-800-584-2788, or you can go online to wnpr.org slash donate. Think about the content that you hear on this station and specifically on this program, where each day we work hard to keep you connected to your community, to the issues that matter most to the people in your backyard. If that is something that you value, we hope you'll support it today. It's quick, it's easy, and it's secure, and it's so appreciated by us. one 800 or online at wnpr.org, and thank you. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. When you own a home, there's always something that comes up, whether it's a leaky pipe or the dishwashers on the fritz. But nothing can prepare you for news that your home is crumbling beneath you, and your insurance policy doesn't cover the repairs. It's a costly nightmare, but it's the reality for an estimated 35,000 Connecticut residents. Today, where we live, we talk about what's being done to help them. Coming up, we'll hear how crumbling foundations are also a problem in places as far away as Ireland. And we'll be joined by Carolyn Lumsden, a longtime journalist who's written a series about this problem for the Hartford Current. Before hearing from her, I want to introduce you to Sheila Sear. She lives in Tallinn, Connecticut, and she's been living the nightmare I just described. We purchased our house in 1990. It was brand new. It was already built. It was a spec home. And we wanted to be out in the country. We wanted to be in Tallinn because the school system was great. And it was just a place to be. When you saw it, did you think this was my dream home? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so you raised your children in this home. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. They went through the Tallinn school system. So when did you first, you or your husband, first realize that there was something wrong with the foundation? In 2005, I have been a real estate agent, licensed in 1991, going to home inspections. I've learned a lot about different things. And our house had one crack in between our two windows in the front. It was our bedroom window. And I kept looking at it over the years and saying, something's just not right with that crack. And eventually, after me whining and complaining, my husband said, let's go downstairs and let's just open it up. We never expected to see what we saw. And what did you see? We saw all map cracking, um, a bowing wall that actually bowed back into the basement. And the reason why we've never seen it was because it was finished. So it was behind the wall. Did your heart sink into your stomach thinking about what it would cost to to fix this? We both looked at each other like, what do we do now? And we knew we had to do something because it virtually was bowing in so far that it was not good. It was not a good thing. So what did you do? Did you know who to call to, to fix that particular wall? We called our insurance company. They said we weren't covered. So now we were on our own, basically. 
we talked to the town, and the town um, had said it was probably just shoddy workmanship. And we knew that we had to do something. So my husband took a couple his vacation off of work, ended up just basically subcontracting everything out himself. We called in all our friends and did it on our own. It's so frustrating when you're a homeowner and you you pay uh, for homeowner's insurance, but when something needs to be fixed, to be told that, that you're not covered for it. Exactly. We thought the foundation of a house is a foundation of a house, and that's what holds that house up together, and how could it not be covered? My husband ha- and his friend, who was an engineer, they figured out how to do it. Um, it was the only way that we could do it financially, and because it was all out of pocket. And um, basically, it was piece by piece. It was when Hurricane Katrina came through, right as our house was on supports, everything got wet. Everything that went through, and we thought we could at least save the carpet and the walls, you know, aside from the main wall that we had to take down. Mm. And we couldn't. We had frogs. We had all kinds of stuff in our basement. Uh, So how long did it take before the repairs were finally finished that you felt like, I can go back to normal now? You know, I can't even remember. Um, It probably took about a good two months so you said that uh, your husband and a friend uh, really helped with the repairs because it would have been too costly. Uh, mm-hmm. But at some point, did you need to have concrete poured so someone had to come in? Oh, yes. We had to hire a actual concrete company who happened to be the same concrete company as this catastrophe is mm-hmm. right now. So this was the Stafford uh, Springs quarry, um, the materials from this quarry where there was this mineral pyrotite that's yes. in the, uh, seen as the culprit to the crumbling foundations he, issue. Yes, it is. It is the culprit, and it is the company in South Windsor. I'm, I'm sorry, Stafford. And we knew nothing about it. We would never have used them. So uh, fast forward to uh, what, another decade, and you and your husband are, are watching uh, the television news. This is 2015, and there's a report about crumbling foundations. Did you put two and two together right at that moment? We had seen some cracks that had come up. We saw more of the map cracking in the parts that weren't finished. They looked very similar to what we had before, and our hearts just sunk. So what did you do, Sheila? called the structural engineer to come out and, and evaluate. We thought it was just, to be honest with you, the house. We never thought it would have been our breezeway addition and the garage. I mentioned the the first time that you saw that crack under the window uh, in 2005. Again, this uh, feeling of how are you going to pay for this? At that point, did you feel like you would be in financial ruin trying to figure out how to fix your house? In 2005, we used money from my husband's father had passed away and my father passed away in 2004. So that's where our inheritance went. And it wasn't the way we would have liked to have spent it. And to this day, you know, it, it's hurtful. Mm-hmm. It's painful. And it is an emotional roller coaster. You mentioned that um, you also worked in real estate and someone's home oftentimes is the single biggest investment and you hope to build equity through the years and retire comfortably. And 
at that moment when you know that this is a bigger issue in 2015, a lot of families feeling, what are we going to do now? Uh, so tell us, um, when did you then uh, reach out to the state of Connecticut uh, for help? What we did first was go to an attorney that was representing a lot of the clients with crumbling foundations. And to be honest with you, I've been so involved in this. I've gone to all the legislature meetings, pretty much all. I've spoken to the legislature. I was just there last week. And when my husband and I did go to talk to the attorney, she said, you know, you have so much knowledge and so much to offer people and to hopefully be able to help them in some way. She actually had hired me. So I was working there with her while I was doing my real estate and um, pretty much that was the start of everything. The state was just this past January. It was a lot of back and forth, a lot of stress, a lot of tears, a lot of what are we going to do? We can't afford this. Our house was quoted at $243,610. And we are getting closer to retirement age. And this is, wasn't where we wanted to be at this time. $243,000 is often uh, the amount of someone's first mortgage for a house. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we were not, we couldn't afford it. We are both self-employed. So it just is devastating. Uh, this is where we live. Uh, in studio with me is Sheila Sear, who is a homeowner in Tolland, Connecticut. Uh, she and her husband um, dealing with, over the last uh, more than a decade, uh, with an issue of crumbling foundations. Again, this is something that's prevalent in the north central part of the state uh, in towns like Tolland and Vernon. Uh, but uh, we also wanted to talk with you about the remedies uh, before you. And the good news is your house is now being repaired through the state program that you mentioned uh, that you applied and uh, with some state bonding money as well as a surcharge that all property owners now pay. This is helping homeowners like yourself uh, try to fix your home. It is. It is. It's a godsend. We hopefully... We'll be back in our house next week, and things seem to be progressing, so we're very happy. In the meantime, while the work was being done, you've been living in a trailer. Yes, yes. We have been in a trailer for four and a half months now. So you're ready to go home. I am. I am. It was not a bad situation. We are very fortunate because we are actually not on our property. Our wonderful neighbor, five houses down, said, come live with me. And it's been, it's wonderful. She sounds like a good neighbor. Oh my goodness. I, she brings tears to my eyes. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Sheila, that you've been really involved with uh, talking to legislators throughout the last couple of years, trying to get the state's assistance to help you and other homeowners. Uh, when you look back at the process, any recommendations or still you know, some gaps in how uh, homeowners such as yourself are um, getting help or how the state is even overseeing contracting work for these repairs? I think there needs to be a few more things implemented in this whole process. I was just at the legislature last week, and they do need the regulations for the quarries. I am not a geologist. I have no input on that other than there has to be something to control this. 
Meaning that uh, before any foundations are poured, contractors need to test that material to make sure there's a certain minerals like pyrotite not in there? The, I don't know where the guidelines should be, but there should be something. So that is one thing. And the other thing is to um, have a project manager, somebody who could go out to these properties and look at, I guess, quality control is the key here. And what could happen and what may happen in this situation. To make sure that the contractors or subcontractors that are now doing the repairs are doing them the right way. Exactly. Exactly. And we did have a problem with our first contractor and it all got straightened out, but um, we did have to hire a new one who has done a phenomenal job for us. Well, Sheila Sear, we appreciate you coming in to tell us a little bit about the stress you've been under for the last, uh, again, uh, more than a decade, but we're happy to hear that you're going to be moving back into your home soon. I can't wait. Thank you so much. You're listening to Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, uh, Sheila Sierra, tall in Connecticut homeowners whose house is now being repaired due to a crumbling foundation. We're taking a look at uh, the remedies uh, for, again, an estimated 35,000 Connecticut homeowners who are who, whose homes have uh, crumbling foundations. Joining me now in studio is Carolyn Lumsden. Uh, she's a longtime journalist, former opinion editor of the Hartford Current. Uh, she received a 2018 Pulliam Editorial Fellowship, and she worked on a year-long series for the Hartford Current looking at this issue. Uh, Carolyn, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Uh, listening to Sheila Sears' story, is it typical of the from the homeowners you've spoken with? Well, I... Homeowners are devastated, of course, you know, to find out that the single most costly thing that you own um, might be nearly worthless. It's just a horrible thing to go through. And um, I have spoken to actually town managers who said that, you know, retirees have come into their office crying. They don't know how to possibly, you know, get the loans to fix this. However, the good news is, as Sheila says, and I'm sorry, Sheila, for what you're going through, but the good news is that there is state money to help. Thank God the state has been great on this. They have bonded $100 million, uh, and there's other money, too. We wish the federal government would be more forthcoming. They have given tax breaks, but there is no FEMA aid, which is a kind of head-scratching. Um, I think that Sheila, by the way, is right that there need to be regulations. We can't allow this to happen again. So we're going to be talking with State Senator Saud Anwar, who represents um, a lot of those towns in the northeast part of the state where uh, crumbling foundations is more common. But uh, just briefly, Carolyn, fill it in for us, for listeners who haven't been following this issue. Uh, you know, why that part of the state? And I think I misspoke saying that the quarry where a lot of this concrete uh, material came from uh, came out of Stafford Springs. Actually, it was Willington. Yeah. Yeah, the quarry is based in Willington. The concrete company that's um, been linked to this is based, I believe, in Stafford. And um, same family um, owns both. Um, so um, they're actually, and it's we believe now it may not be 35,000 homes. We certainly hope it's not 35,000 homes. Um, it may be a more of sore man- manageable 5,000 homes. Mm. So where did that number come from? Because I checked the, the state okay. site this morning. Yes. It said 35,000. Yeah, I know. The state site is out of date. <laughs> um, anyway, the um, 35,000 came from a um, sort of the sense of this concrete company and this quarry was really 
um, supplying material for the northeast quadrant of the state, you know, east of the Connecticut River, north of Middletown and Norwich. It's a lot of homes. And they figured the market area was probably about 35,000 homes. But um, there, it could be that um, the pyrotite, which is the mineral that causes the problem, was from one part of the quarry, not all of the quarry. So it could be that it's limited. We're hoping it is. And pyrotite is this mineral uh, that um, is found it's naturally uh, in these quarries, and we heard uh, mm-hmm. Sheila mention that you know there should be some uh, regulations, uh, but that almost sounds like that would be hard to pin down okay. if it's naturally occurring. Well, yes and no. Um, we know from geology maps, the state geologist has maps that show very clearly where the pyrotite veins lie in Connecticut. The fact that there are quarries in some of those veins is sort of... Uh, bewildering. I mean, um, and the fact that they're not really regulated, they're not tested, um, this is why this problem happened. Uh, We also know that there are other veins. Connecticut is rich in geology and rocks, and um, that can be a problem because there are also pyrite veins. And pyrite is the mineral, it's a cousin of pyrotite, it's the mineral that devastated Ireland. Mm -hmm. So we have to watch out for those quarries too, and that's why we really do need testing. And it can be done, it is being done in Ireland, and it had been done in Canada as well. Carolyn Lumsden is the former opinion editor of the Hartford Current. Uh, She uh, now um, was working on a fellowship under the Pulliam Editorial Fellowship and did a year-long series for the Hartford Current about crumbling foundations. We're going to continue our conversation with her after the break. You can join us, too, if you've been affected by uh, crumbling foundations. Uh, Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you've experienced. Hi, I'm Lydia Brown here with Carmen Baskoff. We're the producers of Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio, and we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Where We Live podcast. Uh, We're taking a moment also to ask you to support the work that we do on this program to ensure that it is here for weeks and months and years to come. It's quick, it's easy, and it's secure. All you have to do is go to the phones 1-800-584-2788 or go online to wnpr.org. I think one of the tricky things about a, a live radio show is uh, we're, we are only in one time block, and that might not be a time you're able to listen. So that's the, the great part of the podcast. You can take Where We Live with you wherever you're going at whatever time. So if that's something that's important to you, something you rely on to learn about what's happening in your community and in the world, the number to call 1-800-584-2788, or you can go online to wnpr.org slash donate. And thanks. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're talking about crumbling foundations in Connecticut, a problem that local and state officials have only acted on in just the last couple of years. Uh, the numbers of the homeowners that are affected, as we heard from Carolyn Lumsden, uh, vary at one time. The state saying up to 35,000 homeowners could be affected by this problem. Uh, their foundations were poured using concrete traced to a quarry that's now closed. The concrete had the mineral pyrotite in it, which causes 
the slow deterioration of the concrete when exposed to oxygen and water. Uh, Carolyn Lumsden, a longtime journalist, uh, recently completed a Hartford Current series on this issue facing homeowners in northeastern Connecticut. So, Carolyn, uh, tell us, um, this story was first reported by NBC Connecticut, I believe, back in 2015. Uh, with your reporting that you've done, uh, tell us who you focused on and, and what are some of the themes that you've been able to draw out? Oh, well, yeah, thanks. George Colley did a superb job in breaking this story and uh, won a PBD for it, rightfully so. So my series um, looked at, sort of took the next step, looked at uh, what we need to do at this point. Um, so I went to Canada and went to Ireland to see what has been done there. Um, of course, their systems are a bit different, um, but I did find some important, I think, guidelines that we should look at particularly in Ireland. Um, Ireland was devastated by pyrite in the Dublin area and by mica in the northern tip of Ireland. They've since um, put in standards saying that quarry aggregate, the crushed stone and stuff that comes in, that goes into concrete, should be tested every 60 days. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the... Uh, um, sorry, that... Uh, Anyway, there's been recommended that we test even more often than that. I understand there was actually some uh, homeowners or officials from Canada, Quebec, that came uh, Mm -hmm. to Connecticut recently. Yes. Can you tell us about uh, the issue that uh, popped up in uh, a community in Quebec there? Okay. Um, Actually, it wasn't – oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it was in Canada. It was not in Quebec. It was in a a city called Trois-Rivières, which is halfway between Quebec and Montreal, and there, uh, they had. It's almost a mirror image of what happened in Connecticut. They had homes. They discovered um, cracking as well. It turns out that they have fixed two thousand homes. It was pyrotite. Um, they've raised them up uh, and removed the foundations and re-poured the concrete. So they still have another couple thousand to go. Yeah. Uh, when uh, home, when the Canadian officials came to Connecticut, you know, I'm curious. Were they invited by? Uh, local homeowners, yes. and what were some of their, yeah. the takeaways that uh, local uh, residents took from the, yeah. the Canadian situation? So one of the interesting things is in all three countries, um, really progress has been moved by citizen action. Uh, there have been people here in Connecticut and in Canada and Ireland who've really pushed the agenda on this. So two, two, two or three members of, from Canada came and gave their experiences. And um, they said, you know, things, helpful things like, be careful when you're re-pouring concrete. Uh, one of them said he took a bucket of the uh, concrete out and had it tested to make sure it still didn't have pyrotite in, um, in the new batch because they've had a few problems there. We heard Sheila uh, mention that um, there could be more oversight from the state of Connecticut in relation to uh, the work that's being done for repairs. Mm-hmm. So in uh, in Canada, uh, were there issues with uh, price gouging or uh, concerns about the quality of the work? There were. Um, our experience has been a little bit different. We've had more control over the pricing. Um, there was price gouging in, in Canada. Uh, we set up a um, sort of a claims adjuster who ch- who checks who asks for quotes ahead of time. So, in fact, the cost has fallen a bit in Connecticut for repairing um, foundations. 
You know, I'm also curious uh, when I mentioned to Sheila, when something happens to your house, you hope that your homeowner's insurance covers it. Why aren't insurers paying for this work? Yeah. Well, okay. The difference between Canada and Connecticut is that in Canada, there are home warranties that cover for five years. Um, and so many homes were fixed under those warranties. We don't have a warranty system in Connecticut. We have insurance. And it simply says uh, the policies say they don't cover in the case of accidental and sudden collapse, uh, unless um, it's accidental and sudden collapse. Um, they don't cover so for slow deterioration, which is what Pyrotype does. Uh, now, there are... There are there are a few companies that actually did not have the word collapse defined, and that's being battled out in court now. But for the most part, insurers say, no, we're not a warranty, you know, so we just don't cover that. And another issue is that these policies had been allowed to change that particular wording um, in the last 15 years, and there's some questions about whether insurance companies were aware of this problem and were changing their wording on homeowners. Mm. Update us. Uh, again, we're going to be hearing from someone in uh, Ireland about the, the story that you reported on for your year-long series coming up here on Where We Live. Karen Lumsden, former opinion editor of the Hartford Current, uh, who did a series on crumbling foundations uh, over the last uh, year. Uh, but I am curious if you could update us on what the state legislature, um, exactly what mechanisms they put in place to help people like Sheila and this uh, quasi-public agency that now administers uh, the money for repairs. Mm -hmm. So um, actually, it's in the Dublin area, the pyrite problem, which is similar to the pyrotype problem, where a public agency is overseeing repairs. They do have a project manager. Um, it's different from Connecticut. Of course, we're more sort of free market. We do have an agent... Um, private agency, a quasi-public agency that is paying contractors but not really doing oversight. Um, now, contractors do have to be bonded considerable amount. So there, you know, there is compensation if something goes wrong. Um, in Ireland, uh, it is more um, hands-on sort of, uh, you know, the state agencies like overseeing the work. And in Connecticut, the state quasi-public agency, how much money is in this fund uh, mm -hmm. to help uh, local residents? Yeah. It's, um, it's $100 million that's getting bonded over five years. Um, let's hope it keeps getting approved every year. Plus another, they estimate $80 million that's coming from a very modest $12 um, tax on homeowner insurance policies. And um, a few insurance companies are throwing in a little bit of money to help too. Mm -hmm. By the way, there, just because there is oversight in Ireland doesn't mean people haven't been complaining, um, especially the people whose houses are not getting fixed, which uh, continues to be a problem in all three countries. Mm -hmm. I should say uh, where we live uh, reached out to the Connecticut Foundation Solutions Indemnity Company, LLC, which is this quasi-public agency administering the money uh, to help uh, homeowners with repairs. We heard from Mike McGlaris, uh, who's the superintendent of uh, this uh, quasi-public, saying that the state has come through with some additional money, but that doesn't mean it'll be accepting 
new applications for repairs. Uh, rather, the people already in the pipeline will be able to get the repairs, uh, around $185,000, uh, to help fix their foundations. Also, something that I thought was interesting is the superintendent um, had announced that he was going uh, to be leaving. And now, um, in the statement, uh, Mike McGlaris says he indicated to the board he would delay his departure until the spring so that they had more time to undertake a national search to replace him. Uh, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathancher. We're going to ask more about uh, this state development when uh, State Senator uh, Saoud Anwar joins us to talk about the remedies for Connecticut homeowners. Carolyn Lumsden is my in-studio guest, former opinion editor of The Current, who's been writing about crumbling foundations. We're also going to hear from someone in Ireland about how uh, they banded together to get uh, the country to help them. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, um, and coming up as well, uh, we're hoping that you take time to support WMPR during our fall membership campaign. Uh, we talk a lot of, about a lot of different topics on the show. We uh, provide you analysis of things happening locally, but also nationally as well. And if you appreciate that programming here and on WMPR, it's time to support it. Here are two of my colleagues to tell you more. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, coming up, actually, is our Coffee Break series starting up again around the state of Connecticut. We're going to be at the Grounded Coffee Company in Willimantic, Connecticut on Tuesday, October 22nd. Uh, we want to hear about issues or stories in your community that aren't getting the attention uh, they need. And you can join us again. Just look for more information on Where We Live's Facebook page. Now, today we've been talking about crumbling foundations, which is a problem for Connecticut homeowners the northeast part of the state. In studio with me is Carolyn Lumsden, former opinion editor of the Hartford Current, uh, who wrote a series, a year-long series, on crumbling foundations. You can join us, too, 888-720-WMPR. That's 888-720-9677. Uh, joining us now by phone is uh, State Senator Saud Anwar, who represents uh, towns uh, that have been affected by crumbling foundations, like Ellington and, and East Windsor, East uh, and South Windsor. Uh, Senator Anwar, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lucy, for having me. And hello, Carolyn. Hi, Senator. <laughs> um, Senator uh, Anwar, uh, we actually heard from a Tallinn resident, Sheila Sear, uh, who you may know, um, whose house is now being repaired. She's actually happy that she'll be able to move back in, hopefully, next week. But something that she did break up, bring up to us is um, her feeling that there should be more state oversight and now this contracting and subcontracting work to do the repairs. You know, can you respond to that? And what have you been hearing from your constituents? Yeah, I agree with uh, Sheila as well. Um, I, I think um, we have a lot of work that needs to be done with respect to the, the uh, rebuilding of uh, some of the homes uh, when uh, our state has been involved to help the victims. And, and as many of the victims are getting their um, foundations um, uh, fixed, um, we are seeing a pattern where um, the supply-demand challenge has uh, become quite apparent. The number of victims and, and the homes that need to be fixed are far more than credible quality contractors that are out there. And uh, what we have noticed is that there is increase in the number of subcontractors. There is a timeline issue where people are not able to finish their job in a timely fashion. 
Um, and again, there are true quality issues as well that need to be addressed. And uh, I'm actually part of a committee that is uh, our legislators, and, and I was one of the co-sponsors along with a number of my colleagues, bipartisan bill, uh, which was focused to try and help address um, the challenges for the victims of the Crumbling Foundation. And one part of that bill is to look at the standards on, and and um, uh, quality of the quarries, which is, uh, again, a preventive component, and the other one was also to have a look at the uh, workforce managing the contracting of fixing this. So I'm, we are trying to address and come up with recommendations before the beginning of February 2020. Uh, so where does the buck stop, uh, Senator Anwar, in the sense that uh, there is now a, a quasi-public agency that's administering the money to the state of Connecticut? Um, also, there, I believe there's an advocate within the Department of Housing. We did reach out to uh, uh, them, but the advocate couldn't join us. But if there are issues, like you said, with quality of work being done and the supply-demand issue, who is responsible for, for making that fix? Well, um I uh, feel that the, the state has a much important role, and, and, and the reason I feel that way is that uh, for fixing these foundations, uh, it is taxpayer money. And uh, since the taxpayers from across the, the, the state um, have been uh, helping out their neighbors to fix those, uh, the state needs to play an active role in, in oversight as well. Now, that doesn't take away the fact that the homes of the, the victims whose homes are being worked on, they have to do the due diligence, but we as a state have to provide them all of the information, data, mechanisms to try and do the oversight directly. Now, um, I feel it, it's worthwhile for the state to have uh, one individual focused as a project manager to try and then identify and collaborate with the uh, the workforce, but also the victims, and and then that would hopefully uh, give capacity building to the the victims, so that they can actually go through checklists at all different phases of the reconstruction. So um, this so this needs to come up in the next legislative session. Yes, uh, and and again, I, I this is how I look at it, but I think the final recommendations would come from this group, which includes many other individuals. But uh, if, if I had my way, I would prefer that we have a project manager that is a state-appointed project manager that would work in collaboration with the, with the victim advocate groups and also with the contractors and uh, the experts in the field to be able to give uh, very clear help and support to the victims as they get their homes uh, reconstructed. What can the state do to compel insurers to contribute more to this uh, problem? Again, uh, we heard that insurers uh, don't pay for this, uh, even if someone's been dutifully paying their homeowners uh, policy each and every year, and the cost is exorbitant for, for many people if they didn't have the state program to help pay them for the repairs. Yes. Uh, Lucy, that's a multi-million dollar question, and um, I will share with you how I feel, and I'm quite passionate about this aspect. Look, all the victims, thousands of them in our state, they actually never asked the question. They paid their premium, their re responsibility to get the insurance. And, and when they did what they were supposed to, and when the time came when the insurances had to show up and then help them out, the insurances identified excuses to walk away from their responsibilities. And, and this is the reason why we as the taxpayers and the community and the victims are all paying uh, from uh, our resources to try and rebuild what we can, the people who have not been in the picture 
have been the insurance industry, and they should be front and center. And I would add banking industry to be in the front and center of this as well, because uh, the banks are at risk, but they have actually sort of looking the other way while they're watching, but they have not come to the rescue and help and support. So the first step would be the insurance company, and I think we have to uh, use the power of the administrative uh, uh, part of our government, the governor's office, to bring the insurance industry to the table and proportionately ask them and expect them to contribute towards the captive insurance money. And if we do not do that, um, we actually are giving them a free ride and at the cost of our taxpayers and also not helping the victims. That's State Senator Saud Anwar, who represents towns like Ellington, East Windsor, and South Windsor, this northeastern part of the state where homeowners are dealing with crumbling foundations. Uh, State Senator Anwar, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, in studio with me is Karen Lumsden, who's been reporting on crumbling foundations. You know, when you hear, I know you've talked with State Senator uh, Anwar uh, many times during your reporting. Uh, when you hear the work that's being done, specifically this working group, um, you know, is there interest beyond the working group uh, coming together with recommendations? He mentioned the governor's office also needs to get involved. Mm. Uh, well, first of all, thank God we have legislators like Senator Anwar and Jeff Curry and so many people who have been really working on behalf of homeowners. Um, as far as a project manager, there does need to be someone within the state, anyone who is helping here. I, it seems like the state is just sort of shoving off the job onto organizations that are not um, official agencies, CROG, which is kind of a voluntary association of towns. Um, they've given CROG the job of, you know, kind of taking care of this, and, and CROG isn't paid for this. This isn't what they were set up to do. There is no one within the state who's overseeing this, and that's really a shame. Um, there is a homeowner advocate. I've, she won't talk to me. I don't know exactly what she does. Is that Lena Holleran yes. with the Department of <laughs> Housing? We did reach out to her, as I mentioned. We were told she was unable to participate. Yes. Um, before we run out of time, because, again, you did do reporting uh, from Ireland, we wanted to bring into the conversation Eileen Doherty, who's a homeowner in County Donegal, Ireland, and member of the MICA Action Group. Eileen, are you there? I am indeed, yes. Uh, Eileen's jo joining us via Skype. Thank you so much uh, for joining us for a few minutes. Uh, the Crumbling Foundations issue uh, where you live uh, related to uh, another mineral, mica. When did this uh, come up and homeowners realize that there's a bigger problem than just uh, an isolated incident? Um, this com problem came to the fore around 2010. Um, since then, when a small number of owners came forward, there has since been... I think close to about 5,000 homeowners we, re we estimate to be impacted. So we went to Connecticut a couple of weeks ago and we spoke at the conference there around crumbling foundations. And um, we were astounded really at the parallels that we saw between the issue that you have in Connecticut, Massachusetts, and also in Canada that we are encountering here in Donegal and Ireland. And there was a lot of issues that you presented that um, we have ourselves gone through. We are a lobby group and the lobby group are obviously um, all affected homeowners ourselves. And we have been lobbying the government to intervene and to step up and to help uh, resolve the issues for, for homeowners here. Mm -hmm. um, interesting listening to the senator a second ago and talking about the oversight and the governance of this issue. We also had the same issues and we've spent quite a lot of time over the last number of years 
drafting a number of things which maybe have would have some benefit in terms of learnings for yourselves. For example, we have an assessment process where we spend about a year drafting a protocol. The protocol is essentially a guidelines for an engineer coming out to look at each home and ensuring that the assessment process is undertaken in the same way. That's very valuable in the sense that all of the assessments are undertaken according to strict guidelines and the remediation uh, and the fix, let's say, is addressed on a case-by-case basis. In addition to that, I suppose, when you talk about the project manager that you're looking at implementing in the case of Connecticut, we have something similar here, but it's rather than having one project manager, we have each individual case managed or overseen by an engineer. Each of these engineers are trained on the MEG issue, um, which means that a lot of responsibility does not lay with the homeowner in terms of actually working out how to fix their homes, but really it is driven by the engineer who has significant experience in the area and that is overseeing them mm. at the local authority level. So we've a lot of parallels that we found, Lucy, with what mm. you're encountering in Connecticut. You're hearing Eileen Doherty uh, via Skype, a homeowner in County Donegal, Ireland, a member of the MICA Action Group. Uh, as uh, she mentioned, 5,000 homeowners there in Ireland experiencing what uh, about 5,000 uh, residents in the state of Connecticut have been experiencing, which is crumbling foundations. Uh, Carolyn, they, as she mentioned, came to Connecticut to talk uh, to uh, Connecticut homeowners. Interesting takeaways that she mentioned of how mm-hmm. the problem has been addressed or is being addressed in, mm-hmm. in Ireland. Yes, it is. Um, just one comment I want to make. We're seeing these problems popping up in Canada, Ireland, Connecticut, now Massachusetts. I mean, I wonder if we are running out of good rock. I keep coming back to we've got to look more closely at our quarries because, you know, it's reasonable to test, to expect quarries to test the product that they're putting in our concrete. Uh, and this is going to happen again unless we start to have some sort of you know, regulations of some kind over the stuff that's going into our our home foundations. And I'm also curious for uh, people who um, may not be having an issue now, but there's a chance that these cracks might show up, and that is related to the pyrotite here in Connecticut. Okay. So that's a very good point that you bring up. Um, There is a fear that um, once these, we figure about 1,200 houses will be fixed with the money we have now. We fear that there's another 3,500, and those are going to come up later on. In about five to seven to ten years, we'll start seeing cracks. What do we do then? When we run out of the $100 million, we're going to, this is going to be a problem that's going to continue. Is there a sense, because the numbers are changing, uh, at one point thinking, the state thinking 35,000 homeowners could be impacted, um, now it's think there's a, a less number, about 5,000, which mm-hmm. is good news, right? Mm-hmm. But it could also um, manifest in a few years, and mm-hmm. homeowners still need a good fix. But is there a sense that uh, this is an isolated incident, um, and maybe the, the lawmakers don't want to think about how this could be a, still a problem in the years out? Yeah. I think that there's a lot of denial, but as we're seeing <laughs> in other places, um, there is bad rock out there, and we've got to be really careful because of Connecticut's unique geology. Uh, uh, there, are, It is showing up, I believe, in other states. We're just not hearing about it. Colorado has had pyrotite problems and killed thousands of, of fish from acid uh, mine drainage. Um, and Tennessee has had problems. I mean, I, this is not going to be an isolated case. Mm. 
I want to thank Carolyn Lumsden for joining us, who wrote a year-long series for the Hartford Current. We're going to link to some of those stories on our website, wmpr.org. Carolyn, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Also want to thank uh, Eileen Doherty, who joined us via Skype uh, from County Donegal in Ireland. Uh, Eileen, thank you, as well as uh, our producer, Carmen Baskoff. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, we're going to actually throw it to our colleagues to remind you that it's WMPR, Connecticut Public Radio's fall fundraising campaign. If you appreciate the conversations, the programming you hear on WMPR, like where we live, we ask you to support it. Here's the number to call.